0: Hello and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for Major Airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. This episode is called It's Just Wrong. (laughs) We have all kinds of stories that are they they're just wrong. We've got stories about the Ku Klux Klan. People acting crazy and getting thrown off the airplane. People peeing in the aisles. Passengers having to keep their hands in the air. Um, Crew members almost having to go to jail on a layover. And at the end of the episode, my favorite story about a kid stealing an airplane. (laughs) Okay, so these stories, yes, they are all, it's just wrong. But you know what? Sometimes wrong is entertaining. And another thing that's wrong is how slow I am jumping on this technology bandwagon. I've known for a long time I should be on Twitter and I just haven't gotten around to it, but I am now on Twitter because I don't have a regular schedule for posting podcasts. I feel bad that people have to look to see if there's a podcast. So now if you follow me on Twitter, which would be at www.twitter.com backslash skybetty, or if you go to my website, bettyinthesky.com, there is a Uh, Link. Follow me on Twitter right under the title. Uh, This way, I will tweet when a podcast is coming out that day. So this way, you won't have to look. Let's get going now with these stories that are just wrong. So, um, I like to ask people what their call signs were. And you were in the Navy? Yes. And you know anybody that had an interesting call sign?
1: The best call sign I ever heard in 20 years of flying fighters in the Navy was Dash. So I'm briefing this hop and writing everybody's name on the board, and I come across this guy's call sign, tactical call sign, and it's Dash. And I thought to myself, you know, this doesn't sound like a very manly call sign. (laughs) So after the brief, I got his... uh, is a fellow aviator off to the side, and I asked him, I go, "Hey, what's up with Dash?" And he says, "Oh, Dash—he's a good guy. He's a real good guy. He's a gun enthusiast, though. And a few months ago, he was uh, at home cleaning a uh, pistol. There was a round in the chamber. It went off, and evidently, it went through his foot. And that was about four months ago. And this is uh, his first flight back after being med down. So I'm still a little confused, and I go, "I don't, I don't get it. What's, what's up with Dash?" He goes, "Well, Dash." D-A-S-H. Dumbass shot himself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, this is your your bag.
2: This sticker on my bag was given to me by my, my boys. It says, old guys rule. If you read the fine print, yeah. it says, the older I get, the better I was. That's why pilots can tell stories better every year.
0: So a couple of days ago I was on a flight and we had a pilot jump seating and uh works for another airline, a black man, and he was saying he's been flying a long time and when he first started becoming, you know, a captain as a black man at the time, it was unusual and he always got all kind of strange comments. But he said uh one time he was the one that got to have the comment. <laughs> he said he was flying for Southern Airlines I don't even remember that airline but the agent had said to him are you are you flying this particular flight tomorrow and he's like yeah he goes oh well you know we've got a big group on that flight and the pilot was like okay you know like so he goes um we got a big group of people going to a Ku Klux Klan convention and this black captain says uh, and, 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 I, and I'm flying that flight and he goes well yeah if you're working that flight you're flying that flight so you know <laughs> he's an employee so he's working that flight but uh, he said he's never done it before and he's never done it since but man he <laughs> he jerked that plane around <laughs> it was a rough flight <laughs> he said those uh, Ku Klux Klan conventioners didn't need a white sheet when they got off the plane because they were already white.
2: One night, we were flying from probably Miami and we were going to Kingston to lay over in Montego Bay, but we're late leaving Miami. There's thunderstorms everywhere, and in this in this iteration of my life, we had a procedure that before takeoff, we turned off galley power, and at 3,000 feet or something like that, we turned galley power back on. And that was the signal to the flight attendants that they were allowed to get up if they chose to, but they weren't allowed to get up when the galley power was off. So. We had told them on this particular night, don't get up because it's going to be a bumpy ride. It's only a half an hour. Just sit down. But they're supposed to be serving a dinner, uh, as usual, on you know, in those days. And um, shortly after takeoff, but, but we were late. Um, you know, I mean, we were supposed to have gone around dinner time, and it's about 9 o'clock or something now. And uh, so one of the attendants opens the door, says, uh, I got a guy who's uh staging a demonstration in first class. And we go, "Well, what does that mean?" She goes, <clears throat> "He's marching up and down in first class going, "We want drinks. We want drinks." And the captain just looks at me and I said, "Oh, no." And he goes, "Yeah, go take go back and take care of that." So, I go, "All right." So up I go out sure enough this guy's marching up and down the aisle going, "We want drinks. We want drinks." And uh and the airplane's bouncing all over the place and I said, "Look." And and it, it, there's it, it turns out there's four of them sitting in the back row of first class. There's a girl who's midway pregnant, there's him and then two other guys. And he's a skinny little runty long-haired guy and so are his two buddies. And the girl's reasonable and it looks reasonable at least and they're not that old. And I said, "Look." I said, "You got to you got to sit down." I said, "It's dangerous to be up you're going to get your drinks when the, when it's safe to get up. And the girl goes, he'll be fine, he'll be fine, you know. And I said, okay, good, thanks. So I walk back up and I go, I took care of that. Two minutes later, they're back up. Now he wants his food. He's demonstrating for food. And and he's not just doing it in first class. He's going up and down coach and everything like that. And and so he turns around and goes, you know, and I go, all right, all right, all right, fine. So back again. I said, look, I said, this is serious. I said, you can't be doing this. We're going to go back to Miami. We're going to throw you off the airplane. We'll have the cops meet you. He goes, I don't care about that. He goes, I want my drink and I want my food, and I've been on this airplane forever. And, you know, what's the problem? And I said, well, the problem is the weather's terrible. The ride's bad. It's dangerous. Everything will work out if you just be patient. So she, the girl's pulling him back down into a seat. And, and he says, okay, all right. And she's going, he'll behave, he'll behave. So, right, so on we go. So we get one more bad report, but he's not staging a demonstration, but it's a bad report. And the girls are completely tired of dealing with this group, this whole group. So the captain says, call ahead to Kingston. Have the cops meet the airplane. We're gonna throw these people off the airplane in Kingston. And uh, they're supposed to be going to Montego Bay, we we had learned. So I get on the radio and I start trying to call Kingston and we used to have to call in in range with an ETA and the outbound fuel so the captain could pick the fuel load and all we and all we could get was Montego Bay and we kept saying we don't want Montego Bay we want Kingston so finally we said well we I said will you telephone up to Kingston and tell them we want police to throw these people off the airplane and they're we're not sure if they're understanding it or or not so we don't really know what's going to happen in in um, Kingston when we land and when we land, we're like the only moving thing on the airport. You know, it's late. There's just nothing going on. So they, there's no jetways or anything like that in the Kingston. They drive the truck up with the stairs, do that whole routine. The, this little gate agent who's who's opening the door, she's about 4'11", and she probably weighs 80 pounds, a little black girl, young, and... Uh, she says, uh, "I I open the door, and I and she goes to me. Uh, did you request police assistance?" And I said, "Well, yes, I did." So she signals down, and this huge, huge black cop comes up, Jamaican cop, and he comes up and goes, uh, "What's the problem?" And uh, so I gave him a quick rundown that these people were causing a lot of trouble. Captain wants him thrown off the airplane. So he goes, "Take me to him." So down the aisle, and then right at the first class divider, I turn around and I go, "You know, here's the guy." And then I kind of step back a little bit. Now, nobody knows, nobody's figured out what's going on just yet, but the girl figures it out first. So the cop, he leans down, and he just starts talking to this guy. And as it turns out, he's kind of provoking him or prodding him a little bit until finally the guy gets mad and uh, uses the N-word and things like that. That's and with, just, with, this, with this enormous guy, I, I mean, he was huge. So he reaches around, he flips the, the guy's seatbelt up, and he hooks his two fingers under his belt, grabs him by the base of the skull, and just picks him up, straight up out of his seat like that. And he goes, you come with me now, man. You know? and, so, and this guy's walking down the aisle, and his toes are barely touching the floor. And it's hilarious. It's just really funny. And so I said, I, I think to myself, i got to see the end of this. And i got to go out and do the pre-flight anyway. So I race down the aisle, down the stairs, run around to the, to the front of the jetway, or the front of the stairs. And I get to the bottom, and and this guy is screaming, and he's red-faced, and he's mad, and and he and he's yelling at the cop, and he's yelling at the girl, and he's yelling at the moon, and everything. And he looks at me, and he goes, good evening, we've met. And, and it's like, and I said, yeah. And he goes, kind of nods his head, and then he starts screaming again at everybody else. So once this girl has, has this all figured out, she comes up, and she's the foulest mouth person so she's off next then the other two guys go off and uh we get and, and just nobody's getting on nobody flies from Kingston to Montego Bay um so we we the few people that are getting off get off finish the pre-flight button the airplane up start the engines off we go get to Montego Bay in we're calling in range to Montego Bay and they're saying make sure all the passengers stay on the airplane we'll take care of this and and we're going no 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 it's all taken care of it's not you it's Kingston that we're Everything here is cool." And they're going, No, no, no. Make sure everybody stays on the airplane. Uh, we're going to have people meet the airplane. And we're going. And I'm going, No. Wrong place. No. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. And so we pull up in Montego Bay, and there's this small army of people down there waiting for the airplane. And they roll out a red carpet at the base of the... Uh, they roll up the, the stairs on the pickup truck. They roll out a red carpet handful of people come up, knock on the door. I open the door. They take one look around the corner and they go, Where's Death Leopard? And we go, Really? He <laughs> said, Well, you'll find them in Kingston under police guard, I think.
0: Okay, so this happened recently, right? It did. It did. What happened was, uh, this was on a 767 aircraft, and the head flight attendant, her name is, she was sitting at the front jump seat, which is next to the boarding door. Right. And um, she had put her bag, we usually put our bags down near the floor, on the floor near our jump seat. So she had
3: uh, left the area and gone to the back of the airplane, and when she came back, there was a man standing over her her
0: bag. Her bag. And this is in flight, right? And this was in flight. And he was urinating. <gasps> she didn't get to finish that story because something important came up, and we had to go uh, to work. <laughs> that could be a problem sometimes. But what she said was, uh, she says to the man, "What are you doing? You're you're urinating in my bag and all over the floor in front of first class. You know what? What are you?" doing and he said i had to go to the bathroom and there was a line so i just went ugh. that that could be nominated for the classy passenger award huh but the funny part of that story was she goes back to the galley and she was flying with a friend of hers and she's like you believe that man he just she just peed in my carry-on bag and all over the floor and ugh, it's just horrible and her friend said to her what'd you do to piss him off <laughs>
1: All I want to do is fly uh, Is this thing on? Yep. Okay. Okay um, We were uh, flying from Salt Lake City to San Antonio And uh, we had a little problem at the gate Where I was out pre-flighting the aircraft And looked up uh, at the horizontal stabilizer And there was a big dent there And it was right in line with the catering truck That was parked up to the back of the plane So I asked the gentleman, "Uh, did you happen to bump into the airplane when you raised the catering truck up to the door? And he said, oh, no, not at all. Well, of course, uh, he had. And so we had to call maintenance and had a a three-and-a-half-hour delay. This uh, caused a problem in the air because as we were over the middle of Texas, uh, we had a passenger who decided that he no longer wanted to be on the airplane and decided to leave the airplane. But uh, not just walk up to the door, but crawl over the seats and take swings at passengers on his way to the door. Uh, and it turned out uh, we crawling found out. The seats? Yes, crawling over the seats. Yeah, that's usually a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> it's a little 737, you know, and kind of tight quarters. And he's screaming at people. And turns out he was on uh, some medication for some mental problems and had figured, oh, I'll just put him in my luggage because it's only a two-hour flight but our little maintenance delay made it about a seven hour difference now and uh you should never check your medication, yes yeah well apparently he probably wasn't on his medication when they told him to not check his medication maybe so anyways uh i uh, this is back in the uh pre-9-11 days when uh the uh, first officer took his big flashlight and went back to solve the problem and that was you yes that was me uh the uh, nice lady captain, who had been a captain for all of nine months, and this was her first emergency situation, looked at me and said, well, are you going to take care of that? <laughs> I said, well, I guess so. So I, uh, I liked it when you guys used to take care of that. I know. I grabbed the zip ties and my big flashlight and walked back there, and two gentlemen presented themselves with their credentials as off-duty policemen oh, and said, would you, "Would you? could we be of assistance? And I said, why, yes, you can. They, uh, and I asked them, uh, would you be uh, willing to uh, take the... Uh, first, I showed them the zip ties. I said, do you know what to do with these, which are restraining devices? And they said, yes, we do. And I said, would you be willing to do what you know how to do so I can go back and do what I know how to do? And they said, sure, no problem. So they helped uh, subdue the passenger and restrain him, along with three other passengers. Uh, but uh, as he was screaming at the top of his lungs... Uh, and scaring all the passengers, we decided to divert to uh, Midland. Uh, I guess I actually we went to Abilene, Texas. We were in between Midland and Abilene, and uh, they asked the air traffic controllers asked us where we wanted to go and the captain i 'll never forget this she said on the radio, whichever one has the nearest mental facilities near it. <laughs> I can only imagine every other airplane on that frequency, and the pilots looking at each other going. Well, that sounds like an interesting flight going on there.
3: So we
0: all heard over and over and over again about the um, potential bomber on Christmas Day on the Northwest flight. And uh, it's very scary, very scary what he's tempted to do and what they continue to attempt to do. And um, I don't want to make light of any of this, but, you know, in the days after that incident, they kept coming out with all these security measures that were... I hate to say it, but sort of knee-jerk reactions and sort of un, um, unsustainable because, you know, to not be able to go to the bathroom for the last hour of a flight after it's an international flight, most likely. You, you've you been asleep, you know? You... That's when everybody goes to the bathroom. And then, you know, they were also saying, you know, the pillows and blankets have to be in the overhead bins and you can't have anything in your lap and the entertainment system has to be turned off. And so uh, this male flight attendant, he was flying a flight into the United States just days after this happened with all of these restrictions going on. And he was telling all the passengers all the stuff they had to do with the PA. And he said he was just about ready to get on the PA and say, okay, for the last hour of the flight, I want you to sit in your seats with your hands in the air and keep your blinking to a minimum. (laughs) I mean, I know it's ridiculous, but it also is getting ridiculous. I mean, we can't punish everyone for the one crackpot that might try to do that. I mean, I'm not in any way saying I have any of the answers, but I do think it's funny, you know, because he was feeling bad for him after telling all the stuff they couldn't do. <laughs> He's like, okay, keep your hands in the air. I can see them. Keep your blinking to a minimum. Yeah, hear? Then
1: keep track. Feel like I'm- First trip
3: that I had, international trip out of New York, we had uh, a trip to Milan. That's nice. Yeah, I mean, they're the same like our Hawaii labors, it's 24 hours. But um, I didn't know my way around. Unfortunately, I had a good crew. And we were all going to go out to dinner. And there's like a little trolley train that you take, and you have to buy. There's like little magazine stands that you have to stop and get your little ticket to to get on the trolley to go to your destination. Well, we got our little ticket to go to the destination, the canal area where all the um, restaurants and stuff were. So we get over there and we're we're walking along the canal. Nothing that looks very good. So we're walking and walking. We stop and we have a drink somewhere. And then we decided we're going to come back to this restaurant that's back by our hotel that everybody goes to every single trip that they didn't want to go to this trip, yeah. they wanted something different. So, when we get back to where the little magazine stand is where we got to catch the trolley, it's closed, so we don't have a ticket to get back. We didn't think to buy a round trip ticket, so we all like, oh, we're not walking, so we all hop on the trolley, and we're talking to the captain, the, both co-pilots are with us. And Sorry, you all got on, even though you did no ticket? We all got on with no ticket. I mean, because it's it's the honor like, system. Oh yeah. So did you no, so we get on and we're, we're like one stop away. We go like four stops and we're like maybe one stop away from getting off where the restaurant is and the trolley police stop. And they all jump on. Well, as they're jumping on, they're coming in one end. All these people are running out the other end and we didn't know what they were doing. We didn't know who these guys were. Well, they're coming to check your tickets. And we're like, hold oh, no. <laughs> over, So, we start asking like, we got a ticket, we're holding up our old tickets. We got a ticket, and they're like, no, no, those aren't good anymore. And so, the captain has lost his old ticket. So, everybody else has an old ticket, except for the captain. So, then, they pull us off the train. Okay, now you guys are going to jail. We are taking you to jail. They said they're taking you to jail. Yes, yes. The one guy, there were three cops. One of them wanted to let us go, because he's like, "Mm, no, no big deal. And all these people were hanging out the windows looking at us like you dumb americans <laughs> but you it was to run well had we known we would have run out the front door with everybody else but we didn't know what they were doing so anyway they, they a no but they ended up finding us they put us in the couples for some reason they thought the guys were with you know this guy's with that girl but right? so they put us in the couples and couples. Oh. yeah and they wanted to find us like 75 dollars a piece per couple so like $150 a couple. And we had to give them the cash right then. Well, I didn't have that much cash with me. Right. Fortunately, my my husband, who wasn't really my husband, I'll give it to you. So I gave him the money the next morning, but.
0: But you guys have to paid that amount
3: of money. Oh yeah, we gave it to them right there on the, standing on the side of the train. And they wouldn't let us back on the train because we didn't have a ticket. And then you have to walk. So we had to walk the rest of the way. But, But the thing about it is, is they would have put all of us in jail. I mean, it would have been like one flight attendant maybe that wasn't with us. Oh, yeah. high operations are all in jail. Could you come bail us out? Yeah. The flight's late because the flight crew is in jail. Yes.
1: All I want to
0: do is fly. I don't normally read. Portions of articles from a magazine, but in this month's Outside Magazine, there's an article called The Ballad of Colton Harris-Moore by Bob Friel that I thought was just amazing, and I think you'd like to hear a little bit of it, Uh, especially anybody that's interested in flying or aviation. This kid's story is just amazing. It's uh, in the Northwest San Juan Islands, best known for killer whales and Microsoft retirees, a teen fugitive has made a mockery of local authorities allegedly stealing cars taking planes for joyrides that parts amazing to me taking planes for joyrides and breaking into vacation homes his ability to elude the police and survive in the woods has earned him folk hero status but some wonder if the 18-year-old will make it up out of the hunt alive around 10 a.m. everything went to shit 60-mile-an-hour wind gusts grabbed the little Cessna 182, shook it, twisted it, and threw it down toward the jagged peaks of the Cascade Range and then slammed it back up again. Pilots of small planes obsess about the weather. Ill winds, icing, poor visibility all can bring a flight to a terminal, smoldering conclusion. However, when you're a 17-year-old kid with exactly zero hours of flight training other than what you've gleaned online, and from DVDs, and you're sitting in the pilot's seat of a stolen airplane trying to make a quick getaway from a whole lot of law that's on your tail for busting out of prison home and going on your second cop-teasing crime spree, well, you've got other things on your mind besides the weather. It's believed that the kid had cased the small airport on the Orcas Island in the San Juans off the co- coast of Washington for at least a week, hiding in the trees behind a flimsy, deer fence to watch takeoffs and landings, waiting patiently until a late model Cessna 182 Skylane, fuel-injected dependability, easy to fly, rugged as hell, touched down and rolled into the hangar farm. Sometime after sundown, he pried his way into the hangar, where he had all night to check out the plane, read the GPS and the autopilot manuals, and dig around to find the ignition key the owner had tucked away in a fishing tackle box. At sunrise, he raised the hangar's wide metal door, attached the crowbar, leaned his six-foot5, 200-pound frame against the one-ton airplane, and slowly rolled it out. <laughs> That's amazing. Between YouTube and flight simulators, any computer literate can find more than enough information to pilot an airplane at least in theory, Microsoft Flight Simulator reproduces the dash of the 182 exactly. And so once the thief climbed into the pilot seat, his fingers found all the gauges and controls quickly. He adjusted the fuel mixture and the rudder trim and the newer fuel injected engines turn over easily. And with uh, so many private planes on the Orcas, none of the neighbors took special notice of the early morning growls of his engines. He revved up and taxied south Toward the still sleeping town of East Sound, then spun the plane until its nose aimed straight down the runway, which ends abruptly in the cold, slate gray waters of the Puget Sound. He went full throttle, popped the tow brakes, instantly the plane lurched forward. The virgin pilot kept his cool, applying enough pressure on the right rudder pedal to counteract the propeller torque and kept the Cessna on the skinny half-mile strip long enough to hit 60 miles an hour, he lifted off, and he mainlined an epic hit of euphoria. From what the pilot's mom, Pam Kohler, tells us, this was not only her son's first solo takeoff, but the very first time he'd ever been in a plane. The very first time he'd ever been in a plane. Here's a kid who's been told over and over by teachers, by the police, so-called friends, and nearly every adult he'd ever come in contact with that he would never do anything. And here he is. Suddenly, he's flying high, soloing, and a bright white plane with swooshing red stripes. So now he's flying, and within 10 minutes, Kamano Island, his home, came into view. There's a landing strip on Camano, but that wasn't an option. His face had already adorned wanted posters all over that island. So he continued south, southeast, leaving Puget Sound for the mainland and managing to avoid the heavy commercial air traffic around SeaTac. I mean, that's amazing, too. The kid, how does he know what he's doing? South of Seattle, he banked east, putting the frosty white bulk of Mount Rainier in his right-side window and headed across the Cascades. The mountains create a lot of weather, and on a good day, this means uh, lively turbulence. But on November 12th, 2008, it meant wind gusts exploded against the little Cessna like aerial death charges, causing one massive buzzkill. The ride would have been extremely uncomfortable, says Eric Gurley, chief pilot for San Juan Airlines. So uncomfortable to him means that the equivalent of spinning inside a commercial clothes dryer. He just shakes his head considering a kid with no training over the Cascades that morning, saying it's almost unbelievable that he made it. The police believe it, though. Once past the violent updrafts, the kid flew on until 11 a.m. when he attempted to land in a scrub field on the Yakima Indian Reservation, about 300 miles from where he took off. The Cessna came in hot and hit hard, bouncing back into the air before impacting again and nose diving into a gully, the propeller blades tearing up the earth. The pilot trashed the plane, but he walked away or ran away the minimum test of a successful landing. When the police got to the scene, they found the cockpit spattered in puke. Other than the bits of his breakfast, though, the pilot left no trace and disappeared into the woods. Before he was suspected of stealing the airplane, the kid had been just Colton Harris Moore, high school dropout, juvenile delinquent, and petty thief who sometimes left bare footprints at crime scenes. After he climbed out of the Cessna and disappeared in the wilds of the Washington State, home of Sasquatch, D.B. Cooper twin peaks and twilight he became colt the latest in a long line of gutsy outlaws to capture the world's imagination today colt still remains at large and getting larger a suspect of more than a 100 crimes mostly felonies it's been 20 months since he busted out and began playing grand theft auto the reality version and he's wanted in five washington counties there's a lot more to that article a lot more detail it is in january's outside magazine And I, of course, am not saying he was right in stealing an airplane or that people should go out and steal airplanes. (laughs) But, you know, the attention span that kids don't seem to have these days, the fact that he was casing airports and stealing airplanes and attempting to fly airplanes when he had never even stepped foot in an airplane. Of course, he could have hurt people. Of course, he could have killed himself. Of course, it's all wrong. (laughs) It's wrong. But. You can't help but admire that kid's got
1: guts. You, pay, for your sins. you know I'm proud of all the places that I've been Life is a game just made for me.
0: That's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel this wrong world together. Thanks. Bye.
1: All I wanna do is fly. All I wanna do is fly. All I wanna do is fly